It is locked on Jazz for the 22nd of September. The biggest concern I have for the Utah Jazz coming into this season. And Tony Jones is still around to have great fun talking the NBA and the Utah Jazz. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow! Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thank you so much for making the Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube at Locked On Jazz. So as we inch toward training camp, opening media day Monday, it sounds like training camp Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday in Las Vegas. They'll come back Friday and Saturday and then head off to San Antonio for game number one. It's right around the corner of the preseason and then Dallas for game number two. So it's all coming close. Uh, I built myself a schedule last night on making sure I have every team prepped by opening night. And uh, it's two or three teams a day here for a little while uh, to get it all done. So it is certainly close and running up on us. Uh, here's my biggest concern as we get close to this season and whether the Jazz can replicate last year's success. And that is the amount of career years People had last year. So Mike Conley last year's effective field goal percentage, 55.2. Best of his career at was 54.5 prior in the 16-17 season. At 33 years old, he shot 41.2% from three. That's at, with the most attempt. I mean, just incredible, right? 41.2% from three on six and a half attempts a game. Both of those career numbers for Mike, um, most attempts and highest percentage. He also actually, to his credit, was a career-high rebounding season, all in a free agent year uh, in which he then got himself a new contract. He actually had his highest steal rate since 2013-14 since at 1.4 steals a game. So the first question, and, and we're going to run through this, and there's just so many of these career years is this because of a collective energy? Is this because of a Quinn Snyder system? Is this because the game evolved? Is this because the Jazz kind of broke the model on how to play in transition? What is it that allowed for these career years? And is it possible to happen again? Royce O'Neal, effective field goal percentage last year, 58.0 career year, 27 years old. In his fourth full season of the NBA, while remarkably increasing his minutes from 17 to 20 to 29 to 32, he had a career year at 58.0 effective field goal percentage. He averaged 6.8 rebounds, up from 5.5. His assists, steals, and blocks were all the same as they were a year prior. His three-point shooting, kind of on career average, but .01 off a career uh, year. Joe Ingles, what a season he had. Blowing numbers out. Effective field goal percentage last year. By the way, effective field goal percentage 
ways three-point shooting and two-point shooting into one number to try to understand your overall shooting effectiveness. 65.2 for Joe. His two previous years were at 57. He vaulted to 65% in that last year. He went from 39% three-point shooting in each of the last two years, 39 and 40, to 45% a career year. He did it while taking six a game. He was really one of the most positively impactful players in the NBA last year, taking six of his eight shots and threes, making 45% of them. Is that, you know, is did he get hot? Is that replicable? Um, the 65.2 effective field goal percentage is a remarkable number. His previous high was 61. Uh, he played 28 minutes, so he didn't, like, reduce his minutes. He actually increased his shot attempts from the year prior. Uh, his... Assists were down a tiny bit. His rebounds were down a tiny bit. His steals were down a tiny bit, but nothing noticeable. And if you actually go look at Joe at per 36 minutes, then his rebounding is exactly the same. His assist rate was down a tiny bit, but everything else is about the same. But can Joe do that again? 45% from three, 65% effective field goal percentage. Donovan Mitchell, I think there's every reason to believe he, believe he can get better, but again, career year, effective field goal percentage, 52%. Previous high was the year prior at 51, 26 points a game. Career high the year before was 24, six free throws. Career high was 4.7. His rebounds is, uh, were right at his career high. His assists were up one. Career year across the board, his three-point shooting went from 366 to 38.6. He, I think it's reasonable to expect, would get, you know, should get better. Rudy Gobert last year, 67.5 field goal percentage, career high number one in the NBA, is 68% two-point shooting, was the best of anyone in the league, down a little bit from his year prior. He actually shot 69% the year prior, 68 this year. His free throw shooting, wasn't actually better. He's actually declined in each of the last four seasons of the line. His rebounding was the exact same. His blocks went up. Uh, again, I don't think there's any reason to expect Donovan or Rudy to slide at all here. Boyan Bogdanovich, which was an up-and-down year last year, is not going to probably fit into this um, in the same way. But when you dig in, it was still pretty solid. Effective field goal percentage to 53.6, which was down a little bit from his career and down a little bit from last year at 54.8. So he's probably the one who had took two less shots as Mike increased his game as Joe was active. Boyan's the one who kind of got lost in the shuffle. We saw that when Boyan got out there against it and when the guys were hurt late in the year and Boyan played uh, incredibly well, he suddenly you know had the ball in his hands more, had more opportunities and was amazing. And our final career year, to some extent is Jordan Clarkson, but surprisingly the only thing in the Jordan Clarkson career year is really his points at, and his shot attempts at 18 points and 16 shot attempts, a, a remarkable increase in shot attempts in a, virtually the same amount of time. He took three more shots a game than he took uh, in his 42 games with Utah the year before he took nine threes a game instead of six. He actually didn't make his effective field goal percentage was 52.2, which was the low he's had since his, uh, last time he was that low in his effective field goal percentage was his year in uh, 2017-18 when he gets traded from the Lakers and the Cleveland Cavaliers. So Jordan actually, other than award-winning and free-throw shooting, and his rebounds were up uh, nicely from 2.8 to 4, and his assists were up, I know it's hard to believe, from 1.6 to 2.5 with the Jazz. 
Um, he actually doesn't have a career year. So when I look at this, I'm talking really, and then this gets really age specific. I'm talking about Mike Conley in his 14th year in the league. I'm talking about Joe Ingles in his eighth year in the league and whether or not those two particular guys who had massively important, unbelievable career years last year and were that great can do that again. And to me, that's a huge part of this story for the Jazz. I think it's fair to think Boyan probably should have a, a same kind of year, um, even though he's on the older end of the age scale, but just because he kind of got minimized with his possessions. Um, now, Rudy Gay is another high possession user. He's going to use many more possessions than George Niang. So, you know, how does that fit and what does that do? And, you know, it's hard to tell, what, you know, if he suddenly has a career year, it really says something about the way Utah runs their system, what Quinn does as a team and how it all works um, in that. So uh, those are my kind of my biggest concern for this season. It really comes down to Mike Conley and Joe Ingles more than anyone else. They were both so, so good last year. They're both over the kind of age barrier of where you expect an upward trajectory of play um, at, th you know, Mike turns, uh, October 11th, Mike will turn 34 years old. So right as we're in the middle of preseason, that's just, it's not expected 34 years old that you're going to keep getting better. And Joe turns it on October 2nd. So both of those guys crest over 34 years old. Both those guys coming off incredible seasons. Now, Joe's, you know, become particularly uh, particular about what he eats and so is Mike and how they take care of themselves and the system is great for them. So maybe, you know, you get another year or two out of those two guys at their peak, like we've seen. All right. Tony Jones is coming up on the show. We love it with Tony. It's a lot of fun. We'll dig more into the jazz last first day. We did Ben Simmons and the Lakers today. We'll delve a little bit more into Utah and things of that sort. We'll also talk about the rest of the West and Denver and Michael Porter jr. And some of those kind of players and all that coming up. Thanks very much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. I appreciate it so much. And when it's time for you to be done with me and Tony, your second listen of the day, Locked on Fantasy Basketball with Josh Lloyd. He's been doing a great season preview, running through with all of our Locked on experts to hear about his team. So make sure you, when you're done with this, you go grab for your second listen of the day, Locked on Fantasy Basketball. Today's show is brought to you by my good friends over at Murdoch. Boy, Blake Murdoch's doing something truly amazing. As you know, there's an incredible car shortage out there. Most car dealerships are, are adding on top of MSRP. The Murdochs are not going to do it. Blake says, we are not going to gouge people in this unique time right now. He basically said to me, I'm not going to church and looking at people who I went and took advantage of. So here, they have, an, they have the same shortage of cars as everyone else. Let me tell you what's in. The Palisades, which has been incredibly hard to get in. There will be a silver one in on October 24th and a white one in on October 25th. So that's about a month from now. Here is what's in stock today. A 2022 Tucson Limited Red. The Santa Fe Calligraphy Black is in today. There'll be one also in later this week. A SEL Premium Gray uh, will come in on the 24th for the Santa Fe. So you can jump on that. We own two of those Santa Fe's. Just absolutely amazing. The 2022 Kona Silver is in. 14 more coming in between now and October 26th. So get on that wait list and get in on those Konas and the Elantras. I'm driving the Sonata right now. I just finished with the Elantras. They're incredible. The Sonatas, there aren't any in stock. There's 14 in production coming within a month. 
The 22 Elantra Limited Blue is available today. Another uh, silver one comes in tomorrow, and a blue one comes in the day after. So there's a few cars in stock. They will not gouge you and take you above MSRP. Go check it out at Murdoch Hyundai, located in Woods Cross, excuse me, located in Logan, in Linden, and in Murray. If you're heading over there, feel free to email me first at dlock09 at gmail.com, and we will take care of you, get you set up with your VIP meeting. If you got one device that's let you catch the games live, another lets you stream your favorite shows, another for watching highlights on your phone, well, guess what? It's time to get rid of all of that. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV on-demand favorites together like never before. You can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Contents vary by package, but you can get it all now with Direct TV Stream. When you last tuned in to TJ and Locke, the world had exploded. The Lakers were going to be terrible. There were five teams that could be all part for the play-in game or in the NBA, and Tony thought I'd lost my mind. We're revisiting that. So I said that I thought there were like five teams who I thought could be either in the play-in game, i.e. seventh, and I equally think they could win the West. So Dallas, like, I love Dallas. Luke is, is going to be the most improved player in the Western Conference this year to last year, is my guess, or last year to this year is my guess. Chris Dapps can't be worse than he was last year, Tony. They've got nice pieces. I they, The Josh Richardson, Seth Curry thing was a mess. They actually didn't even lose. A, they got rid of him without losing a first-round draft pick. Like, I I, I kind of think that Luka could carry them to win the West. At the same time, considering their new head coach doesn't have the greatest track record of winning, uh, I think they could be, and, and frankly, be good and still be the seventh best team. Am I? What do you, what's your thought on that? So I think Luka and Jason Kidd are going to be better than people think with each other because Jason Kidd loves tough guys. And Luka's a tough kid. You know, and and Luke is a tough-minded kid, and and I don't think that there's, I don't think that there's going to be anybody that can be harder on Luca than Luca is on himself. So I think the dynamic between Luca and Jason Kidd is going to be just fine. Now, the dynamic between Jason Kidd and Kristaps Porzingis, I might give that over/under until like January, until one of them want to kill each other, because I'm not sure. How tough Luca, I mean, how tough Kristaps is. And I could just see him, you know, just frustrating the heck out of out of Jason, especially, you know, you know, when teams start, you know, pick and rolling him to death, or especially when, you know, you, you need him to to go and, and and get a tough rebound and he doesn't get that tough rebound, or he does, you know, one of his one of his Kristaps things, like he disappears for quarters at a time. And it'll be really interesting to see if Jason has if if Jason has the the patience now um, to 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 coach Kristaps up because I think he needs to be coached up um, to to a certain degree and I think they he's a guy that that's that needs you know consistent um, you know a consistent pat on the back like hey let's go let's go and. and you know, it'll be interesting to see if, if Jason Kidd is that guy that's 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 going to 
um, that that's going to coaches that's going to coach his guy up. So it's going to be interesting to see that. I'm interested to see that. If Luka Doncic is not the most improved player in the Western Conference, the player that's going to improve the most, it's going to have the largest impact to me is Michael Porter Jr. Michael Porter Jr. In the last 22 games of the season last year, when when Jamal Murray was hurt, averaged like 28 points a game. Shot like 50, I'm making this up, but I'm close. Shot like 55% the floor, 40 some odd percent from three. And I don't think Denver skips a beat offensively without Jamal Murray this year because Michael Porter Jr. picks up those possessions and is actually more efficient. And they have two of the top 10 most efficient offensive players with him and Jokic. Defensively, I'm not sure where they are. I actually don't think there's much of a chance that they finish seventh. I do think there's a chance they win the West if Jamal Murray comes back and contributes. I agree with you there. I think Denver is is a team that nobody's talking about that people should be talking about. I think that they're good enough um, to last the entire season um, without Jamal Murray, and I will put the Clippers in that realm as well without Kawhi Leonard. Um, But at the same time, Jamal Murray could come back and and take this team um, uh, to another level. So – you know, it'll, it'll be interesting with the top three teams that I'm anticipating, which is, you know, the Lakers, the Jazz, and, and the Suns. Um, I, I'll be interested to see what the, the, the seating is there uh, to see if, you know, one of those teams uh, can try to avoid you, – you're just not going to avoid Denver, Dallas, and the Clippers in the second round. You're going to see one of those teams or the Golden State Warriors. You're definitely going to see one of those teams – um, but it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, what Denver is by the end of the season, uh, how healthy Jamal Murray is by the end of the season, um, and, and, and you know, what leap Michael Porter Jr. makes. I mean, I think he has to get better uh, on the ball. I think he has to get better ball in hand. Um, you know, obviously, he's still got to continue to evolve defensively. Uh, I think one of the most underrated parts of his game is his rebounding. I think he's an elite rebounder. Um, you know, on both ends of the floor. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if he becomes more uh, of, a, of a playmaker uh, for his teammates. But, you know, obviously he can shoot the heck out of the basketball. Uh, and he's an offensive weapon, you know, from all three levels with his scoring. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a guy that has a chance to be an all-star this year. All right. I was talking to a coach in the league about this. And I was talking about Michael Porter Jr., and so in the final 17 games of the season, Michael, the, these are the actual numbers. Michael Porter Jr. shot 56% from the floor, 49% from three, and scored 24 a game. So 56-49. That's really, like, stupid. He that The coach then said to me, why do you think those numbers are more important than the 10 playoff games where he was still good? He shot 47-39, so 47-40, but he only scored 17 points a game. He only got 13 shots off when there was a scouting report against him. Which do you think is actually, and, and, and let's be perfectly clear, that playoff run I just gave you is still pretty outstanding. 47% from the floor, 40% from three in 10 playoff games against good teams. But which do you think is a better indicator of who Michael Porter Jr. is as a player? Well, they're both better, and they're both indicators. I mean, because for the simple reason that playoff basketball is different than regular season basketball. And, you know, it's a different game in the playoffs. And this is why I said that, you know, Michael Porter Jr. has to become better off the dribble. He has to become better. 
he has to become a better ball in hand player because when you do take away those tendencies or if you take away Stephen Curry's tendency, well, guess what? It doesn't matter because he's just going to be like, okay, I'm going to back you up and I'm going to come at you and I'm going to break you down. And I'm going to get to where I want to go. The elite guys become, you know, scout proof. It just becomes whether you make or miss. So if you can, if, if Michael Porter Jr.'s next step in his evolution offensively is become better off the dribble and become a guy that can beat people off the dribble. And that'll negate, you know, that'll negate a lot of the scout to where, okay, we're going to play top side with him. We're not going to let him catch the ball in this spot. We're going to make him catch the ball from 22 feet rather than 20 feet. We're going to crowd his space and we're going to contest, but we're not going to foul him. And then we're going to put a body on him wherever he goes, wherever screen that he comes through. When he comes off the pin down, we're going to put a body on him. We're going to be physical with him because that's what they did with him in the playoffs. And it muted him a little bit. Like you said, his numbers were still good. He was still 17 points a game. His shooting, his shooting splits were still good. Um, but he wasn't the, the, the really, really good guy that he was uh, in the regular season. So, you know, for me, I think he has to get to a point where it doesn't matter uh, if if the scout against you is great or not, you know he's you know he can go out and get his regardless. Warriors last year did not make the playoffs. Basically, they were thirty nine and thirty three. They did not make the playoffs. Steph Curry played sixty three games. Draymond Green played sixty three games. So they played 90 percent of the games. That's about what you can expect this year. Steph Curry was unbelievable last year. You can't really expect him to be better. They've added two rookies to their roster. Rookies never make you better unless they're named Donovan Mitchell, but really, rookie, there's very little chance Kaminga and Moody help them win games next year. That's not what rookies do. Why do people think the Warriors are like a title contender? Well, I think, you know, this is a lot of, you know, the fan base saying, okay, you know, Clay Thompson is going to come back and he's going to be Clay Thompson. Number one, he's going to come, he's probably going to come back you know, around Christmas. So that's already 30 games into the season. Um, you know, but secondly, um, you know, you know, I think a lot of people say, okay, well, Kevin, Kevin Durant came back from the Achilles and he was Kevin Durant immediately right away. So, you know, a lot of the optimism is, you know, what Clay Thompson can come back as does he come back as 50% of Clay Thompson, the Clay Thompson that we saw when he left, does he come back as 80 or 90%? Uh, and, and, and if he does, then obviously Golden State's a much better team. If I'm a Golden State fan, my source of optimism will lie in this. Steph maintains his, his level. Um, Steph maintains his level. James Wiseman makes a jump. Uh, he, figures, he figures it out to, to a degree. He makes a jump from his rookie to his second year. Jordan Poole, I think, has a chance to be, you know, a six-man of the year contender. I mean, I think he's 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 a guy that I think that has a chance to be really good. Otto Porter Jr. stays healthy, and if he stays healthy, he's a really, really good basketball player. Uh, Andre Godala comes in, even though he's not, you know, the Iggy of the past, um, you know, he he offers a lot of stability. And within the locker room and on the floor with Steph and Dre uh, and, and, and Draymond Green, you know, he, he maintains his, his level defensively, uh, even though he's not a great offensive player. So those would be my, my sources 
uh, of optimism. Uh, and obviously, Andrew Wiggins maintains his level because I think Andrew Wiggins was really good last year as well. So I think that there's a lot of things that have to go right for them, uh, for them to crack the top four. I don't see maybe they can crack number four. Um, uh, I don't see them cracking the top three. Um, you know, but but I do think that they have a chance. There's a chance that they could be better. I'm not sure I see it. All right. He's Tony Jones. What do you see? What do you see? With I think they'll be fine, but I can't. I don't see any jump from last year. I just don't like. I, I can't imagine. I'm the only jump I see from last year is Clay Thompson. But I actually think Draymond's declining a little bit. Um, I think he's still great, but I see. I, I just can't buy that. Like Clay Thompson, two years off of one Achilles and one ACL, and having not played in two years, is going to vault them from an eighth or ninth team in the West to like a home court advantage team. I, I, I don't see that. Yeah, I, I tend to have them around six or seven. Okay, um, so it right, moves them a little bit. Right. A lot of people right. have a lot more. Over-under has them. I think over-under in the West has the Warriors as like fourth, right? Right. You know, I've seen people, you know, think that the Warriors are going to be second. Yeah. Like, I, I just don't see that. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I, I think the top three, I think the three teams, in the, I think the Jazz, the Lakers, and the Suns, are just, I think all three of those teams are are great teams. I think they're great basketball teams. And all right. Well, then let's find out why on the Utah Jazz next and how they get better than they were a year ago with Tony. Jo- Tony Jones is just fun NBA talk. It's just that simple. He's just fun NBA talk. Uh, when I'm talking to Tony Jones, I do need sweat block though. Well, that's just a transition sentence, but I do get a little nervous. I got to hold it up. And sweat block is currently the number one antiperspirant in on Amazon. A bestseller for the last 10 years is now number one in the Amazon antiperspirant category with over 13,000 reviews. What is Sweatblock? In the simplest form, Sweatblock is the dry shirt guarantee. If it doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. Excessive sweating, big events, date night, high school kid who have this and also they're super embarrassed. Here's what you do. You shower at night, you're done. You put on your sweat block before you go to bed, and you're dry for the rest of the week. It's stronger and more effective than most clinical antiperspirants. You simply apply it at night before you go to bed. The next morning, you wake up, wash, and go about your day without worrying, without sweat. Guaranteed. It, for those of you who have excessive sweating, for those people who need those for the big event, it seems too good to be true. It is true. No more pitting out. If you or someone you love is dealing with this, Check out sweatblock.com, 20% off with the promo code locked on. That's 20% off with the promo code locked on. It can be anything from a big event to an excessive sweating issue or just a date night, and you want to make sure that you're not dealing with it. It works up to seven days per use, and you get the dry shirt guarantee. It's sweatblock. It's number one in the Amazon antiperspirant category right now, manufactured in the U.S., doctor-created, and doctor-recommended. Go to sweatblock.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON to get 20% off. Today's show is also brought to you by the fantasy experts at Sleeper who realized that fantasy basketball was broken. 
The games were being won and lost based on whose players had more scheduled games that week. It made no sense, required very little strategy. So in 2020, Sleeper released a brand new way of playing fantasy basketball. It's a game pick called Game Pick. It's only available on Sleeper. In Game Pick, owners pick a single game per week for each started account towards their total score, ensuring an even number of games played amongst opponents. The days of losing because your opponent played more games is over. The days of giving up halfway through the season because of the busy work, all over. The day of getting screwed by player management, over. So find your matchup, home versus away, defensive rating, pace of play. Figure out what it is that's going to make the difference for you and choose the right one. It's game picks. It has you covered. Sleeper crack the fantasy basketball code. If you play fantasy football, if you prefer building out a weekly strategy versus daily busy work, you're going to love game picks. Download the Sleeper app. Start a league with your friends today. You will not be disappointed. That's the sleeper app and start a league getting ready today. It's funny. I was at the gym yesterday before I get back to Tony. Tony always likes to talk about the gym. I should ask Tony about this. I was at the gym yesterday at the end of the workout. Everyone's like diving for the Theraguns. They are absolutely fantastic. The Theragun is a handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tensions using scientifically calibrated combo of depth, power, speed, and it's quite as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. It's a source of releasing tension. Using the Theragun Signature Percussive Therapy goes 60% deeper than any other vibration. That's probably why everybody was diving for them. There were like eight people there, and there were only two devices, and everyone was all over it. The OLD screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future. Go check it out. Third, try Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. Go to therabody.com slash locked on right now to get your Gen 4 Theragun. That's therabody.com slash locked on. The therabody.com slash locked on. Thanks very much for making Locked on Jazz your first podcast listen of the day. For your second podcast listen of the day, when you're done with myself and Tony Jones, there's Locked on Today. Locked on Today is a great 15-minute capsule of all the things you need to know. They delve into the three biggest stories, plus give you all the other news and notes, and you're completely up to date on the sports world as you know it. Locked on Today every day on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Thanks for making Lockdown Jazz your first listen with Tony Jones. I'm David Locke, and I need to know, I got asked the other day from a very, very particular pointed man who said, why are the Utah Jazz better this year than they were last year? What's your answer, Tony? Well, I think they're deeper. Um, you know, I think, uh, I, you know, I think that, that Rudy Gay makes them a deeper team. Um, I think Eric Pascal makes them a deeper team. I, you know, I think that this part is unproven, but I think uh, Doka as a bookie makes him a, a deeper team. Um, you know, and I, I think, um, I, I think that there's, there's, there's some, you know, measure of, of cushion. Um, it, the, the question I have with the Jazz is, will they be match proof when it, when it matters? Because that's why they lost in the playoffs. They weren't matchup proof. They ran into a bad matchup, and that bad matchup beat them. And the teams that win championships, those are the teams that are matchup proof. Take the Lakers for two years to when when they went on their run two years ago. They ran into the Houston Rockets small ball. They said, "Oh, okay, you know, you want to go small ball? You want to spread us out? We're going to put Anthony Davis at center." And you put Anthony Davis at center, the series was over. So the Lakers, the Lakers were matchup proof. And I think the last step for the Jazz, uh, for them to make a deep playoff run, is to is is to be matchup proof. And I, I think that 
you know, you have a guy uh, in Rudy Gay who played uh, over 200 minutes at center last year uh, for the San Antonio Spurs. I think Eric Pascal, um, he, you know, he, he broke into the league being a small ball center. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see if the Jazz uh, figure out a way to be matchup proof. The question with them I, I, is – jump in here for a second? I, mm-hmm. I have one problem with this narrative that I've built too, okay? Like – a little bit of a mea culpa here, right? I've like Rudy Gay can play center, Eric Pashka. You know what the problem with all this is? You know what the problem with the Jazz playing small ball centers? Can't guard on the perimeter. Rudy Gobert's not on the floor. He's like our best player. Right. Like it's all cute and it's all fun to talk about, but like when it really gets down to it, tell me the moment in time where when the game's on the line and it's really, really important that somehow the Jazz are going to go without Rudy Gobert. Like, it's just not going to happen. Well, it's not going to happen. So what's what's the onus, right? The onus is, and let's take the Clippers series out, but the onus is Donovan Mitchell, you got to stay in front of your guy. Mike Conley, you got to stay in front of your guy. Joe Ingles, you got to stay in front of your guy. Boyan Bogdanovich, you got to stay in front of your guy. Royce O'Neal, you got to stay in front of your guy. Because if you guys don't stay in front of your guy, then guess what? then Rudy Gobert's got to come and help you out. And then that's an easy pitch to the corner. And then Terrence Mann gets hot from, from three-point range and scores a kajillion points or however many points he scored uh, in game six. So, I mean, it's a, it's a team effort. And, you know, we could talk about uh, Rudy Gobert. We could talk about that in, until, until, the, until, the, until the day is blue. Um, but it's got to be a team effort when you face a team that wants to spread you out and go five out. You know, yes, Rudy Gobert's got to do his part, but so do his teammates. You know, you got to guard. Uh, also, got to stay in front of people. I've rewatched the second, gosh forbid, the second half of that game six. The narrative out there is that, like, it's somehow on Rudy. That that That's comical. Yeah, I I, I, I did not think that that was that was that was very unfair to Rudy. I, I will also say, in defense of the other guys, Tony, when rewatching it, the injuries did really matter. Like, yeah, there's a, the sure. Paul George comes around on a left to right bend, and Donovan's trying to stay with him, and he just can't get there. He just like right. there. There's some straight line drives. You know, Joe Ingles has a bad closeout in the corner, and there's a transition where Joe tries to go get it and misses, and they go the other way. And there's a straight line drive on Boyan, and Jordan is guarding and reaches and gets burned, and Mike and Donovan get burned. And but it does feel like the injuries mattered a little bit there. They really like. But to your point, like you know what, this whole it doesn't matter. You can't guard your yard. It doesn't matter. Like if teams can literally just say, "I'm driving straight downhill on you," I'm going to the rack. And if your big guy's not there, you can't guard me, so it doesn't matter. Then it's a problem. So the two biggest questions that I have for the Jazz are, you know, will they be will they prove to be matchup-proof when it matters? And will they be healthy when it matters? Because, like you said, I think that uh, I think the injuries did matter. You know, I, I think that, you know, People look at Donovan Mitchell and they say, oh, well, you know, he averaged 38 points. You know, he averaged this, he averaged that. So how hurt can he be? 
the bottom line was he couldn't by the by the time that we got to game four, game five, and game six, he couldn't move defensively. Couldn't move offensively either. The only reason that he was scoring as much was because he's such an elite shooter that he was just making a bunch of threes. You know, people didn't realize that part. He wasn't really exploding and getting to the rim. And offensively, even when he did get to the rim, he wasn't he wasn't able to play make for others because he couldn't explode past anybody. So yeah, Donovan Mitchell's injury it mattered. It mattered a lot in in the other parts of the game that didn't didn't involve uh, putting a ball through the basket. Obviously, Mike Conley's injury mattered. It changed, you know, much of the the entire spectrum for the Jazz. So you know, if the Jazz are going to do what you know, what their goal is or what their goal is going to be this year, they have to be healthy enough to do it. You know, so, you know, I think that that's a, a big question. And, and you know, the second, and and one of the other big questions is how does Hassan Whiteside uh, fit, in, fit into the equation? And what Hassan Whiteside are you going to get? If he's engaged, then, you know, this is a good signing. But if he's not engaged, it can go left from, it can go, it can, it can go awry pretty quickly. It's interesting. Hassan Whiteside is the player who I actually think, if you want to know what, if, like when I got asked that question by someone like, what makes the Jazz better? My answer was, you know what? When Faves was on the floor, they were the 29th percentile defensively last year. So when Rudy was off the floor last year, they were just horrendous defensively. If they can be league average defensively, because Hassan Whiteside is so big and he's just a lot bigger than Faves then that's where they'll be noticeably better. They'll not only be the best defensive team in the league, they'll be the best defensive team in the league by a large margin. So to me, that's actually where they would get better. That Hassan Whiteside can roll to the basket and play above the rim, and that he actually is just a significant upgrade on faves. I, I, that might be a pie-in-the-sky idea, but that's that's the spot where I see the Jazz get better. I'm not buying... I don't buy summer league, so Doke's got to prove it to me in NBA action instead of against a bunch of amateur guards. Very, very fair. So where I think the Jazz get better, you know, you think is I think it's Rudy Gay. Like, I think Rudy Gay is, I, I think adding him to what they already have in the mix, I think it makes him significantly better because he's a guy that, you know, in his career he's played three to four to five. He's another guy that you can that can play with the ball in his hands. Uh, he's become steadily a better shooter um, a, as the season's going on. You look at his defensive metrics last year. He was really good defensively for the for the Spurs. Uh, he's he's experienced playing in this kind of system. He's obviously really close with Mike Conley. So I mean, the, there's the acclimation. Uh, to the roster, I don't think is is, is and, he, and he's an all around. He's become an all around good guy uh, as his as his career is going on, and he's one of those guys. Um, I call it like the Vince Carter uh, syndrome, which where you know you you have a guy that's been a ball in hand guy for most of his career, but gracefully figured out how to be uh, a really good role player. And I think Rudy go. I think Rudy Gay is going to be a really good role player for the Jazz. I was so impressed by Rudy Gay in our press conference with him. Just his basketball intelligence. I'm referring to him as a basketball chameleon. That I think he like really understands how to change his game to match what his team needs. You buy that? I I do buy that. I mean, I think I, I think he's a different player than Joe Johnson, but I think he can have a, a Joe Johnson type of impact on this roster. 
I think he's a guy that, you know, you're going to look up in the playoff game and, you know, somehow, you know, some team's going to guard Mike, Mike and Donovan really well. And, you know, Boyan's going to, you know, go 30% in a, in a game and they're going to win that playoff game because Rudy, Rudy Gay was like, okay, you know, this is where I step in and score 25 points. And I think that he's that kind of guy um, that, you know, he could come out and be a scorer one night. He could come out, be a facilitator another night. He could come out, be a defender another night. I think he's made, I think he's made all of his money. He doesn't care about touches. He doesn't care about shots. He just wants to give this roster whatever, whatever it needs to, 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 to aid it in winning on the highest level. So I, I, I just really think that, 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 you know, getting Rudy Gay for this roster is big. Now, the caveat is this is on paper. I thought the same thing with Jeff Green and Ed Davis, and that didn't work out. So you, at the end of the day, you got to see it work out. But, you know, just at least on paper, just from from my analysis of looking at knowing what Rudy Gay has been for his career and what he can be uh, as a fit for the, for this roster, I, I think it's I think it's a huge addition for them. All right, Tony Jones is with us tomorrow on the show. We'll address the the the, the very big issue that both of us are talking around that we're not really willing to address that we addressed that willingly addressed about the Lakers and the Warriors and other teams about the jazz. We'll do that tomorrow. Thanks very much for tuning into locked on jazz today for your first podcast. Listen, as I suggested, why don't you try out locked on today. Now is your next listen on your smart device. Just tell it to play podcast locked on today. Have a wonderful day. He's Tony Jones of the athletic. You can read him there. You can follow him on Twitter at I'm really smart about hoops. No, no. What is it again? Your Twitter account. T Jones on the NBA. Oh, yeah. It's not I'm just really smart on hoops. It's T Jones <laughs> on the NBA. Back with Tony for our final day tomorrow.